Creative Babble. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey guys, it's me Javier. I'm still working on Season 8, and my God, it is the hardest season to produce. But I promise you, I have great stuff that's coming out soon. But you know... I wanted to play for you one of the first episodes I ever recorded for this podcast. In fact, I took it down for many years, so you may have missed it altogether, but it was the first episode I ever recorded, and it's called Birth of a Con Man. Also, stick around for the trailer for the new podcast by WRAL called Follow the Truth. It's about Michael Jordan's father's murder. And honestly, nobody could tell the story better than WRAL because they have hours and hours of archival footage, exclusive interviews you won't hear anywhere else. So stick around. You're going to hear Birth of the Con Man, part one. Then I'm going to play the trailer for Follow the Truth, which you should check out. And then part two of Birth of a Con Man. So stick around and enjoy the show. It happened quick. Boom. You know, I got in a car accident. I remember I got in a car accident, and uh, I had a friend of mine said, Hey, man, I want to take you to, to a clinic that I got down in Central, close to the airport area. I was like, oh, nice. You said you got into an accident? Was that like a real accident, like the first accident? Yeah. Like that was like a real Yeah, the, the, the first accident was real. This is one of the many car accidents Eric is about to be involved in. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend Radio. Stories about real people pretending to be someone else. Let's talk about Eric and how he became a career criminal, a con man. He started scamming auto insurance companies, then the con got bigger and more elaborate. You see, that's how it works. Once a con man gets away with it once, They have to do it again. But the next time, the con has to be bigger and more complex. This is part one of Birth of a Con Man. In this episode, we'll focus on Eric's early career staging car accidents in Florida. In part two, we'll focus on the con that made him millions and contributed to one of the biggest epidemics this country has ever faced. So let's jump back in. Eric was in a legitimate accident and his friend referred him to a medical clinic. So how, how'd you meet that guy? Like, what, what that? Well, what happened was that a, a friend of mine found out that I had an accident. His dad owned a towing company, so his dad was referring patients to the guy's clinic, and his dad was getting a kickback for bringing people in that had just gotten accidents. So that's how his dad was able to, you know, figure out what this guy was doing he built a relationship with the guy and you know the more people he was bringing you know the more people he was paying for their business so the next day eric goes to the clinic so i go in there i meet this guy this guy uh tells me hey man you know how many people were in your car and i tell him well i was like 
two of us and he's like look if you bring if you bring that guy over i'll give you 500 bucks for you and him i was like wow 500 bucks 20 years old it's a lot of money so i said sure no problem so i brought the guy over we called the insurance company we did all the things we needed to do we did our x-rays and stuff and the guy called me later on the afternoon give me 500 bucks for me and my my friend i was like wow man he's like listen if you refer me any other people i'll give you 500 per person so i was like all right cool man i think i could do something Sounds like easy money, except how exactly do you find people who have just been in a car accident? Simple. You just stage an accident. So uh, I ended up finding somebody else to to stage a car accident. I tell them, man, listen, I got this guy. He'll give me 500 bucks. And they were like, oh, yeah, give you 500 bucks. I was like, yeah, 500 for each person in the car. So Eric gets $500 per passenger and then gives each person in the car 100 bucks. So I remember telling one of the passengers, I give you 100 bucks. And uh, and they were like, yeah, man, I'll do it for 100 bucks. I said, listen, man, you're going to get a lawsuit at the end. You know what I mean? So you're going to end up winning more. Imagine you're driving on the road when suddenly a beat-down car full of passengers pulls into the lane right in front of you. Then suddenly the driver slams on his brakes. You look up at the rearview mirror and there's a car behind you, but it's too late. You're in a three-way accident. But no one should be hurt, right? It was a minor fender bender. Wrong. All eight passengers stumble out of both cars, holding their necks and rolling on the ground. The police shows up and writes an accident report. So I go and I remember crashing the bumper uh, with a random car. We drove late night and we randomly picked a car (laughs) and just ran into it and crashed the bumper, gave it like a car crash look, drove about three blocks away or four blocks away, called the cops and said, hey, man, there's, you know, somebody hit and run us. They're like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. We'll send the cops over. So they send the cops over. And I remember that, uh, I remember the cop came and did a police report. Next morning, I called my guy. I told him, hey, man, I got another guy of mine's just got in an accident. He wants to go check you out. He said, sure, no problem. I was like, all right, perfect. So I went up there and, uh, I took my guys over there. It was three of them. I gave my buddy, the driver, 500 I gave the other guys 100 bucks. I, I remember keeping almost $1,000. I was like, wow, man, I think I could do this all over again. See, Florida is one of the few states that has a no-fault law that is designed to cover financial losses and cover medical expenses for crash victims, you know, so that they don't need to go to court and file a lawsuit to establish who's to blame. For personal injury protection, in the state of Florida, you're covered $10,000 per person. So what they would do is, if they were billing the insurance companies 10000 bucks, they'd give you $500. They'll make 9500 bucks. So they're, they're paying you to earn your business, whether you're faking the accident or not. And then they're telling you, hey, man, you know, at the end, you could get a lawsuit as well. You could sue the cars that that hit you. You know what I mean? 
So when you come to look at it, nobody's really coming out of pocket. It's all insurance scamming money. Well, not exactly. To Eric, these little fender benders seem like a victimless crime. In his eyes, everybody wins. The clinic gets their $10,000, he gets paid, his buddies get paid, even the poor schmuck who got hit got his bumpers fixed. Everybody wins. But the reality is, we all lose. Miami is the fourth most expensive city for car insurance, most likely due to stage accidents like this. The average cost for full coverage in the state of Florida is $3,300. That's almost four times the national average. So I pretty much went and took off and did it on my own. You know, I started, I started scouting around for people, you know, and started setting up accidents and stuff. And the guy, I remember he told me, listen, man, you know, I'm going to give you a raise. I'm going to go from 500 to 1,000 for each person you bring me. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, 19 years old, you're making a thousand bucks that easy. You know, uh, that was pretty impressive. So, you know, as I started bringing more people in, more people were bringing me more patience. Hey, Eric, I got a guy, man. You know, because I'm the one that had that connection with the owner to give me the cash for the accidents. So I was going out there, staging a few car accidents here and there and staging a car accident with three people, making 1500 here. Those people would refer other people. Those people will keep referring people. So I would look like a drug dealer. You know what I mean? Where people will call me instead of drugs, they'll call me for an accident. You know, so they wanted to make a little money. They were short on rent. They didn't have no money. Eric said he was cashing out around $4,500 a week. He did this for about two years and then quit. It probably had something to do with Florida's 2012 law designed to curb rising car insurance rates due to fraud. But this story is not about auto insurance fraud. That would be too easy. This story is about the birth of a con man. A con man who happens to be my cousin. See, Eric and I grew up together. We were like brothers. If I had to describe Eric as a kid in one word, I would say affectionate. He's always, and still does, have a good heart. But over the years, we began to go in different directions. I stayed out of trouble and, well, he relished in it. After middle school, I wanted nothing to do with him and the life that he was living. It wasn't until recently that we started talking again. He's older now and has a beautiful daughter and seems to have matured. He looks back at his life now as if it were all an act. He was pretending to be the bad guy, but I'm not so sure. Everything I told you so far is new to me. I wanted to learn more about what happened after we stopped talking as kids. So I gave him a call. You know, I had to become a bad guy. Uh, so I had to prove to other kids that, hey, you know, this is not just a a front. I do the bad stuff too. But I remember I was like 14 and uh, and I went, I, I started off at a Target and I told my friend, man, I'm not, I'm not scared. I'm no bitch. I'm going to walk in here. I'm going to fucking go steal me a CD player and I'm going to just take it. And he was like, yeah, yeah, man, you're the man, you're the man. You know, I had a bunch of kids rooting me on. I had to show them what I was trying to cover up, 
as a bad guy was the truth. So I went in there, I took the CD player, ended up getting caught. You know, cops came and, oh man, it was just a mess. But hey, you know, it just, it gave me more power to prove to these guys that I was a bad guy. At the end of the day, like I always said, I was scared to go home. You know, I was frightened of my stepdad beat me up and, you know, problems. So I'm not even going to pretend to understand what he means by being a bad guy in order to protect himself. But what I do know is that Eric had a rough childhood. I saw it with my own eyes. Eric's stepdad loathed him. Eric wasn't even allowed to eat at the table with him. He had to eat dinner in his room. And I'm a father now, and I can't imagine treating my children the way his stepdad treated him. Still, that doesn't excuse this whole bad guy facade. So, after that incident, you know, I I ended up, I went to high school, I met these guys. These guys were really bad. These were really bad guys. And uh, other friends used to tell those guys, hey man, this is a really bad guy too. Hey man, this guy Eric, he's a bad guy. Man, he comes from this school, Ponce de Leon. He comes from North Miami. This guy's super bad. And people were like, well, let's see how bad he is. You know, and that's, I mean, they wouldn't, you know, wouldn't like tell me, hey, let's see how bad he is. But I know they were expecting me to be that kind of bad guy. You know, I used to want to show off in front of the, the older, the other bad kids. I was like, man, I need a car radio. You know, my car radio broke. So I remember breaking into one of the cars in the school parking lot, taking my radio, and the guys were like, oh, man, this guy's really crazy, man. This guy's really crazy. I was like, yeah, man, I don't give a fuck. I need this fucking radio. I'm going to take this shit. And he was like, oh, man, yeah. He's like, you know, the words started getting around. that I was, you know, crazy. It worked out perfect. And uh, and the kids started, more and more kids started respecting me, look up to me. Eric went from noble kid to shoplifter to breaking into cars. Home burglary was a natural next step. This guy tells me, hey, man, let's go break into house. So I was like, you know, in reality, I didn't want to do it. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to do it. I can't back up now. It's too late. So I jump in the car. This is early in the morning. I jump in this car. And uh never forget, it was a brown Cadillac. I told him, look, man, I'll be the driver. You know? Because, you know, deep in my heart, I didn't want to break into anybody's house or take anybody's stuff, you know? This just wasn't my type of bad guy situation. All right, let's go. I'll drive. Nah, man, what do you mean you're going to drive? You're going to fucking go in this house with us. What are you fucking scared, dude? I was like, oh, man. And I was like, nah, man, dude, I'm not fucking scared, bro. Fuck, fuck you mean, man, I ain't fucking scared. I'm a fucking, I'll show you how to do it. He ended up knocking on the door and, uh, and nobody answered. But we went. And he kicked the door down. He's like, all right, man, come on. So I remember he had like, like, like sock gloves. They used socks as gloves to hide their fingerprints. They ended up taking a TV and a few other things. Now Eric broke into his first house 
So he had to do it again. But now I gotta be, if I'm gonna go forward and I already broke into a house, I'm gonna have to be the leader of this pack. And, you know, I was telling him, come on, man, let's do this house. They drive to their second house around three o'clock in the afternoon. It's, it's hot and muggy, you know, a typical day in Miami. We went into the backyard. We opened the glass sliding door, one side. He goes, all right, where are you, man? Go park the car. As I parked the car in the corner, i never forget this moment. I was looking at my hand. I was like, damn, man, I knew, you know, my, my conscience, my subconscious was telling me, Eric, you're doing wrong. But as I look up, about three blocks away in front of me, I see a cop car. I see a cop car looking dead at me. And I was like, oh, shit. So I kind of panicked. I freaked out. I put the car in drive. I drove to my butt. I drove back to the house that they had broke into. And I started honking. I'm like, hey, man. The cops are outside. The cops are outside. He's like, oh, shit. And uh, 15 minutes later, we were surrounded by cops. Eric and another guy named Carlos make a run for it. So I ran and I grabbed one of my other guys, Carlos, and I tell him, hey, man, let's go you and me and let's split up. So me and him ran. We got jumped over a few fences and we hid in a canal for about four hours. After four hours, I told the man, let's just get out of here. Uh, when we got out of the canal, we start running. And we see a cop. Oh, man, it was the worst nightmare. We see this cop. And he's like, get on the ground, get on the ground. So I get down on the ground. Boom, we ended up going to jail. Eric went to jail. Two years later, he goes to jail again for violating his probation. So I ended up going to, I, you know, I went to court. I remember my mom walking into court and uh, one of the public defender lawyers tells my mom, hey, look, if you pay 500, get him a private attorney, he might not go to jail. And my mom was like, hey, you know what? I'm tired of dealing with him. Whatever happens to him, let it happen to him. She turned her back, walked right out. The judge says, hey, I'm going to sentence you to a year and a day in prison. You know, I was thinking in my head, gosh, please just turn her back on me. I'm only 17. I always knew he was hanging around with the wrong crowd. I just had no idea the type of things that he was getting himself into. He went from being a petty thief to ripping off giant car insurance companies. After his stint staging car accidents ended, it almost seemed like he got away with it. My probation officer calls me, says, hey, man, I need you to come on in. And I was like, sure. Man. What's the problem? I was just there Friday. He said, yeah, well, I need you to come back. So I was like, all right, I'll be there Monday. So I showed up and sure enough, man, there was two uh, fraud detectives there. Uh, waiting for me and I was like oh man they said hey man you gotta go to jail I was like go to jail I was like sir what do you mean you know they're like yeah man you know you're wanted for 80 counts of insurance fraud and 80 thousands of grand theft and I was like fuck shit man this is fucking crazy 
I mean, what did he think was going to happen, really? So I remember, you know, they handcuffed me, put me in the car, uh, drove me down to the police station. The cops were trying to talk to me and say, hey, man, I really need you to talk and talk to me about your buddy, which they wanted me to talk about the owner of the clinic. And I said, hey, man, really, I ain't got nothing to talk to you about. You know, there's nothing to talk to you about. No, well, you're you're going to get off the hook, but I want to this guy. He can't get off the hook. And you're the only person who's actually going to be able to testify against him in court. And I said, well, because that's not going to happen. In business, you shouldn't burn bridges on the street. You shouldn't snitch. And, uh, you know, just being part of a street business, you don't want to talk to the cops because you kind of lose your credibility. You kind of lose a lot of people. You lose trust. You lose a lot of things. You want to go to jail, but you want to stay in good terms with people because when you come back, you need them. Uh, I remember I went to jail and uh, I ended up going to I ended up going to court. Prosecutor was like, hey, man, you don't want to talk on your guy. I said, no, I got nothing to talk to about this guy. Eric was found guilty and sent to prison for over two years. So what now? How can he turn his life around? Does he even want to turn his life around? I mean, once you become a convicted felon, you know, the system is set up where you, you kind of stay stuck in the same rhythm. Because even if I wanted to wake up the next day and try to become a doctor or become a paralegal or try to sell cars or have a car dealer or, you know, just try to be a regular citizen, you know, they, the system just won't allow you to. It's a, you know, it's a very, very crazy system, you know, and that's kind of why you see most criminals become career criminals because of the way the system is set up. You know, I wanted to change my life. I wanted to open up a car dealer. I wanted to, uh, uh, you know, do a lot of things that I can't do. I mean, till today, I can't even, I can't even get a, I can't even get a job driving around as an Uber driver because I'm a convicted felon. I can barely get on, do any food deliveries because of the way the system is set up. Um, you know, it kind of sucks, but it is what it is. So, I mean, you come out here, you, you could try as much as you can, but just because you're a convicted felon, you're probably the only opportunity you get is to be a construction worker and be a handyman and get paid minimum wage. You never get the opportunity to get a high paid salary job no more. So, I mean, you got no other way to look towards just to go back to what you could do. Eric's story doesn't end here. In fact, it's just the beginning. Eric's next con is his biggest and most ambitious yet. I went online and I put a few ads on Craigslist looking for a doctor. I met with the doctor. The doctor was a cool guy, man. He said, yeah, man, I... You know, the doctor straight up tells me, hey, man, yeah, I know what's going on, man. I want to make some money, too. All right, that was part one of Birth of a Con Man. Now, here is a trailer for Follow the Truth podcast. You could get it wherever you get your podcasts. Then stick around for part two of Birth of a Con Man. Here we go. On July 23rd, 1993, basketball superstar Michael Jordan's father, James Jordan, was murdered in North Carolina. 
Officials say an autopsy revealed Jordan had been shot once in the chest with a 38 caliber handgun. Police have charged 18-year-old Larry Demery and 18-year-old Daniel Green with first-degree murder. Anything you have to say to the Jordan family at all? I didn't kill him. That's what, what do you have, have to say, say? Michael Jordan? To this day, Daniel Green, the man convicted of killing him, says he didn't do it. My name is Amanda Lamb. I'm a crime reporter for WREL-TV in North Carolina. And for more than a decade, I've been in touch with Daniel, learning about the case, poking into it. And over time, I've come to be fascinated by it, by the huge questions that seem to have been left unanswered. This is the father of the most famous athlete on the planet. And on his 57th birthday, he was an unidentified dead man in the middle of nowhere. Was it in your mind that the father of a famous man had been killed and that y'all needed to solve this case? Is it possible for a man to be shot in his car and authorities not find any blood? Our ballistics expert says it couldn't have happened as described. I can still see him looking back as they drove off with my child in that car. And perhaps that the authorities got the wrong man for the crime. I didn't kill James Jordan, I'm innocent. I'm innocent of murder. Coming July 22nd from WREL Studios is Follow the Truth, a re-examination of the James Jordan murder and of Daniel Green's story, the man who for 28 years has said he didn't do it. Here we are a quarter century later and the back cover on this whole murder case isn't yet closed. Follow the Truth, coming July 22nd, wherever you listen to podcasts. Picture this, a foggy evening, the whisper of secrets in the air, and an invitation to step back into the glamorous and mysterious 1920s. That's the backdrop of June's Journey, the game that's been keeping me glued to my phone lately. Instead of doom scrolling on social media, I am actually playing the part of June Parker, a daring detective with a personal mission to solve her sister's murder. And let me tell you, it is a roller coaster of emotions and puzzles. What's to love? Well, first of all, the thrill of hunting for hidden objects. I'm a sucker for these kinds of games. It's kind of like those books that we grew up with, but with a storyline that keeps thickening. Plus, the game takes place in New York to Paris, uncovering clues of scandalous family secrets that make you feel like a real detective. If you're ready for a dose of mystery, romance, and the glamour of the 1920s, June's Journey is waiting for you. Download it for free on iOS and Android, and let's see who cracks the case first. Last time on Pretend Radio, we witnessed the birth of a con man. Eric started his criminal career as a street thug and worked his way up to car insurance scam artist. Here's how it works. Eric stages car accidents, then the driver goes to his fake medical clinic and cashes out a $10,000 personal injury claim. He made a killing scamming thousands from car insurance companies. So I was going out there, staging a few car accidents here and there, and staging a car accident with three people, making 1500 here. Those people would refer other people. Those people will keep referring people. So I would look like a drug dealer. You know what I mean? Where people would call me instead of drugs, they'll call me for an accident. You know, so they wanted to make a little money. They were short on rent. They didn't have no money. Surprise, surprise. He got caught 
and was facing some serious jail time. He could have easily walked away without going to prison. All he had to do was rat out the guy who was running the fake medical clinic. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend Radio. Stories about real people pretending to be someone else. So why didn't he do it? I don't understand. Why didn't he just go and cooperate with the authorities and turn in the owner of the fake medical clinic? Uh, I remember I went to jail and uh, I ended up going to I ended up going to court. Prosecutors like, hey man, you don't want to talk on your guy. I said, no, I got nothing to talk to about this guy. You want to go to jail, but you want to stay in good terms with people because when you come back, you need them. So who is this guy anyway? The owner of the clinic. Well, his name is Dixon Barcelo Castro. I did my time. I got out. When I got out, you know, um, this same guy that I took the blame for, you know, I had called him before I went to jail. I told him, hey, man, you know, I just want to let you know that you could count on me. You know, I know you got a family. I know you got kids, but I want you to know that don't worry. You could count on me. I'm going to do what I got to do. And, uh, you know, I just want you to take care of me when I get out. So, which he did. When I was in prison, he used to, he used to give me about eight to $10,000 every month trying to compensate me for the time that I lost. So, uh, eight to 10000 a month? Yeah, about eight to $10,000 a month. Damn. So I got out. I had, you know, a good piece of chunk of bunny. And I tell him, hey, man, you know, I I appreciate what you did. But, you know, my, what I did for you doesn't really have a price tag, you know. So um, so what are we going to do now? So I, I had about $200,000 in cash. Uh, I went and bought a car. You know, I went and got me some clothes. I got an apartment. I got all settled up and ready and stuff. The moment Eric set foot outside of prison... Dixon Barcelo already had a job lined up for him. You see, while Eric was doing jail time, covering for him, Dixon was operating another medical clinic. He was operating a pain management clinic, you know, when I got out. And he tells me, hey, man, look, you know, uh, buy this MRI from me. And I want you to start making some money. So I was like, well, how much you want? And, you know, he was like, oh, I want 60,000 bucks. So I said, all right, great. You know, how much am I going to make? He says, look, I guarantee you're going to make at least two to three thousand a day. I was like, all right, perfect. Here's your 60 grand. So I gave him the 60,000. I bought the machine. I ended up putting the machine left in the machine there in his in his property. And I was making exactly what he was saying about two to three thousand bucks every day, every day. Why did he want you to buy it? I mean, why, why couldn't he have done this himself? Because he wanted he he just wanted to look out for me. He knew that what I did was was very hard hardcore. You know, he says, "Man, what this guy did for me." You know, I was he was able to stay out here and raise his kids. So Dixon, you know, the guy that ran the car insurance scam, is now in the pain management business. Okay, I'll bite. Pain management is a branch of medicine that specializes in, you know, easing the quality of life for those suffering with chronic pain. This new pain management thing that he got onto was that, you know, 80% of patients have a problem in their lower back, uh, whether it's a disc, whether it's, you know, it's a herniation, whether it's a bulging disc, whether it's a pinched nerve, you know, there's always going to be something wrong with the back. So 
uh, you know, it's kind of irrelevant because I mean, everybody has some type of deterioration on the, on your on your you know your L five, your L sevens, way down in your spine. So, okay, let's cut the crap. This can't possibly be a legitimate pain management clinic. It's safe to assume that this new business venture of his is shady as hell. This pain management clinic is a way to sell and distribute oxycodone in the black market. Well, the reason why you want to have the clinic is you need somebody to write you the prescription. So the doctor is going to write the patient the prescription for, let's say, 200 pills of oxycodone. So the doctor writes a prescription, 200 pills of oxycodone. He pays $300 for the doctor. He pays me $300 for the MRI. He pays $200 to get 200 pills. So the patient has invested $800. When he sells 200 pills at $20, he made four grand. So out of the 4,000, you take away $800. The patient's left over with 3,200 bucks. Now you could do it every month because you need to go back and get your refills. So now you're making $3,200 a month just going to the doctor to take a visit. You know what I mean? When you think about it, it it's it's how long would it take a, a normal person to work, you know, how many hours a week to make $3,200? And this guy is just going once a month, selling his prescriptions and making 3200 bucks. You know what I mean? It becomes a hell of a business. The drug maker Purdue Pharma released Oxycontin in 1996 it promised that a single dose relieves pain for up to 12 hours. You can finally sleep through the night without waking up to take medication. But here's the deal. The drug never really lived up to expectations. And it turns out, it's extremely addictive. Look, oxycodone is a synthetic heroin, right? It's You buy heroin on the street, you don't know what you're buying. The heroin can be cut. Nowadays, it has fentanyl. It'll kill you. So they know exactly what they're getting. It gives them the same amount at the same high as if they were doing, you know, real heroin. So, you know, they buy it. The pill is cheaper. They get better. They get a better use of the drug and it gives them a better high because it's clean. It's a clean drug. So they're not going there for back. Like these guys know what they're doing. Like the patients know exactly what they're doing. Right, exactly. They know exactly what they're doing. They're they're out there. They're using the black market to sell these pills on the street to addicts. You so know? They're, not, they're not even using the pills for themselves. Right? No, they're just using it. They're going in there. They're going in there to make the money. And they got a local dealer. Once they get their pills, they got a local dealer that buys the pills off of them. Wait, I still don't get it. So the patient walks into the fake clinic, pays $800 for their service and pills, then sells it back in the black market for $3,200. What's in it for Eric and Dixon? $800 just doesn't seem like a whole lot of money. Oh, there's a twist. Now, if I, if I start adding, taking people and paying for them and saying, hey, man, look, you don't got the money to, to, to invest in the doctor and the MRI, $800, guess what? I'll pay for you. I'll pay the $800 and I'll give you a thousand bucks. So now out of four grand, I got 3,200. I gave him a thousand. I keep 2,200. If I took five people in a week, once a month, I made 10 grand. You can't beat that because it is a high commodity. It is high on demand. The drug sells on its own. You know what I mean? The streets know that. The politicians know that. The manufacturers know that. It's a business all the way around. 
a deadly business. Right now, drug overdoses are the leading cause of death among Americans 50 years and under. Opiates kill an average of 43 people a day. It's a huge problem. But for Eric and his goons, it's just another day's work. Business started slowing down. It may have something to do with the DEA and the federal prosecutors cracking down on Mallinckrodt Pharmaceuticals, one of the nation's largest manufacturers of oxycodone. More than 500 million of its pills ended up in Florida between 2008 and 2012. The DEA says that the company ignored its responsibilities to report suspicious orders. It lasted about two years, and uh, the business started dying out, right? And by that time, I had made very good money. And I remember I had a, a guy, a guy up in Georgia, he called me and he told me, hey, man, I, I need to get the uh, copy of MRIs of patients. So this guy starts taking patients towards Georgia. So I was like, all right, sure, I'll send you the copy. So I see that he starts calling over and over and over again. I'm like, wow, man, this guy, he must be making a lot of money. I spoke to the guy on the phone. The guy told me, man, you should come up here. You should set up your own medical facility. You'll be making a killing. The guys down in Florida, they haven't caught on to this. Why don't you come up here? I said, sure, no problem, man. I'll go up there. And I went out there, checked it out. The guy had a huge office filled up. So um, I went online and I put a few ads on Craigslist looking for a doctor that was willing to do pain management. And I ended up, you know, catching one. You know, I got a doctor. I met with the doctor. The doctor was a cool guy, man. He said, yeah, man, I, you know, the doctor straight up tells me, hey, man, yeah, I know what's going on, man. I want to make some money, too. Don't doctors make enough money? <laughs> I mean... I mean, you know what? The medical industry has changed so much that they stopped making money. They, they're not making the same amount of money that they used to. Nowadays, you got physician assistants that are making the money that doctors are making. Uh, the patients that I was dealing down there in Florida called them and uh, and I told them, hey man, look, I just opened up my own facility out here in Georgia. Why don't you come up here? And they were like, sure, man, we're on our way. And I mean, that was pretty much it. Uh, you know, the, the clinic started making good money. It was, started rolling and, and uh, you know, I closed, I ended up closing the clinic down. Uh, after the year, the doctor fled. He took off. And, why, did, why did he take off? I don't know. I guess he made enough money, and he was kind of worried, and uh, and he just left. So, make a long story short, uh, the doctor left, and I closed down the clinic, and and that's about it. A few years went by. I started living my life. I got married. I had kids. Eric walks away. Four years go by, and things are finally starting to settle down. He has a family, housekeepers, a yacht, tons of money. Life is good. Well, life was good until he called his former office manager. I had this guy that used to operate the business for me on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, this guy went and uh, and I called him. You know, let's. Uh, you got something to do? And I, I, I kind of heard the guy with a suspicious tone of voice. I was like, man, this guy's acting real weird. You know, what's up with this guy? And he was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, man, what are you calling me for? And I was like, what do you mean? What am I calling you for? You know, me and you never ended up in bad terms. 
So he was like, yeah, what are you calling me for? You're acting real weird. And I was like, man, you're acting real weird. You know what I mean? So he's like, look, man, I, you know, I can't talk to you right now. I'll call you back from another phone. So he ended up calling me from another phone. And we, uh, and he called me and, and uh, he acted real weird. He said, hey, man, he goes, what, what? He goes, you know, the doctor went to jail, right? And I was like, the doctor went to jail? I was like, no, I didn't know that. Why would he go to jail? He said, yeah, man. What are you trying to do, man? You're trying to set me up? You know, what are you trying to do? You're trying to make me operate a phony clinic? And I was like, man, you're crazy. I, I called the lawyer. I called my lawyer the next day, and I was, you know, kind of freaking out. I called my lawyer, and I told him, hey, man, look, I think I got a little problem. You know what I mean? He says, oh, okay. He says, what happened? I said, no, well, look, I talked to this guy. He said, the doctor went to jail. I'm pretty sure that if the doctor went to jail, they're going to probably be looking for me as well. So he called over there, and exactly what it was, the prosecutor was uh, ready to indict me on uh, a couple federal charges for money laundering and conspiracy to traffic and... And I was like, oh, shit, man, you know, last thing I wanted was this. But, you know, we went up there. We ended up we spoke to the prosecutor and uh, I told him, man, listen, man, you know, this shit happened almost four years ago. You know what I mean? You know, I wasn't, you know, thinking this was going to happen so many, you know, at this time in life. And they were like, yeah, I remember my lawyer was like, you're going to have to do 10 years. You got to start going to do your 10 year time. That's what the prosecutors want. And I said, shit, man, you know, I kind of got fed up. I got I got to a point where I'm just fed up because I'm just like, man, you know, you can't do nothing out here, man. There's no winning. There's no winning these people. We spoke to the prosecutor about what had happened, this and that. And I told him, man, you know, you know, it is what it is. You know, yeah, we were doing this. We were operating the clinic and we kind of knew we, we kind of knew we were doing it for a wrong reason. You know, we weren't really doing it for any medical right reasons. So remorse. That's what I was hoping to hear this whole time. The reason why I haven't spoken to Eric all these years is because he is a bad guy whether he wants to believe it or not. I wanted to know, does he feel bad about the things he's done? I think part of him does. But in the end, I think he really feels like he's the victim in this whole thing. But what bothers me the most is that he's a smart guy, a real entrepreneur. Can you imagine if he took his con artist instincts and applied it to a legitimate business? I mean, the guy would be insanely successful. And that's what he's doing now. He's working for what he says is a legitimate nutritional supplement company. We've spoken many nights about his plans and the company and how he plans to grow it. It all sounds legit. Finally, his energy is focused in the right direction. As for his legal troubles, Eric is awaiting sentencing. And what about the owner of the clinic, Dixon Barcelo Castro? Dixon and his brother were both indicted on charges of conspiracy to commit healthcare fraud. Authorities say Dixon operated four different medical clinics around the state of Florida and scammed millions away from Medicare. As soon as they issued a warrant for their arrest, the Barcelo brothers were gone. They disappeared. Right now, as we speak, he's running from the FBI. Uh, you know, he's been on the run probably about four years. Um, and I never heard from him since. Like out of the country, maybe? Uh, he might be out of the country, probably in Mexico. Eric's future is yet unwritten. 
he may spend the next 10 years in prison. Will he go back to being a con artist? Or will he change? Who knows? I guess we'll have to wait and see. All right, so that was part two of Birth of a Con Man. Stick around after the break. I will tell you what Eric is up to now. All right, guys, that was part two of Birth of a Con Man. And you know, since this episode first aired about four years ago when this podcast first started, you know, people have had a lot of questions about Eric. Like, what's he, where is he now? Well, Eric has served his time. He went to federal prison for a few years and he's out. And when he came out, he hit rock bottom. I mean, he had nothing. But it's truly a remarkable story about redemption because for the last couple of years, Eric has done everything in his power to start his own business. And he he started one business, it didn't work out, and then he started a pet store business, and it is booming. It is doing great. He just opened his first shop, and everything that he's done so far, uh, to my knowledge, has been legitimate. The guy has really turned things around, and, and that's really a powerful story because, you know, oftentimes, and this is a topic that I feel very strongly about, is that we shut felons out. When felons get out of prison, they can't vote, they can't get a job, they, you know, they're they have no other choice but to return to the life of crime, or they have to really, really work hard and become entrepreneurs and work for themselves. And that's, that is a, the path that Eric chose and I know as his cousin, I couldn't be prouder of him. I just visited him uh, not too long ago in Miami and saw his pet business. Uh, it's, it's, it's doing great. And honestly, that is the perfect ending to the story because, you know, Eric, even though he's my cousin, he's really a brother. You know, we grew up together every day. We're about the same age. And slowly we started drifting apart. We started going our separate paths. So it's really nice to know that now he's a father. I'm a father. We get our girls together. And you can really see it in his eyes that his life has turned around. And I hope he stays that way. Um, But yeah, that's what Eric's up to. And thank you guys for listening. And I appreciate it. I will be back soon with new episodes. I promise when I'm not quite sure, (laughs) have a lot of lines out there and got to reel them in now. So, all right, guys, talk to you soon. Creative power.